Welcome to Let's Talk Sales. This is a podcast for anyone interested in growing sales. Today's episode of Let's Talk Sales is brought to you by our ebook, The Ultimate Guide to Storytelling in Sales. In it, you'll discover why storytelling is so important in sales and how you can include it in your sales process. Make sure to download a copy today. You can find it in the notes for today's show at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 266. This is, as always, Elizabeth Frederick, and I am really excited about today's guest. I think it's going to be a fun conversation for us and a, a great listen for all of you. He is the founder and portfolio manager at Alpine Quantitative Management and is the former president of three different family-run Mercedes-Benz dealerships and has a lot of experience in both sales and sales leadership because of that. He is based in beautiful, beautiful Denver, Colorado, one of my favorite places in the country. So we are so glad to have you here. Welcome to the show, Chad Glauser. Um, thank you for having me, Elizabeth. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, I think um, I think your background is so interesting. So I, I'm really, you know, as I said, I'm glad that you could join us. I just shared literally like the things that people could find on you from LinkedIn, <laughs> but that's yeah. not all that you are as a person. That's not all of your story. So I'd love it if you could introduce yourself to our listeners and talk a bit about the journey you've been on to get to where you are today and um, how you developed the passion for both selling a business development as well as what you're doing. Um, well, for me, uh, my story really starts at birth. Um, I was born into a family where my father was in the automotive industry and everything from my first memory of from wherever I wanted something, I had to negotiate to get it. <laughs> um, and that's just kind of, I, that's literally some of my first memories. Um, and then from there, you know, I grew up being an athlete, um, at a pretty high level through my teenage years, like preteen all the way through teenage years and then through college a little bit as well. And then uh, when I got out of college, I did go into the family business and going into that business, um, I, I was actually trained for over 12 months uh, mm. before I was able to start working. And then the other side of that was I vividly remember my father sitting me down and there was 30 different closing techniques um, that he had really mastered over the years. And I had to sit down and memorize those. Oh, wow. Um, and then there was also just different type of self-help books that he, that he would read or people he respected, um, from that scenario. Um, as far as on the sales side from like a Zig Ziglar to different mm. motivational type people, you know, um, and anything that he would like that he would then share not only just with myself, but with the rest of the staff. Um, and then I think in time, what ends up happening is the best salespeople that I've ever been around are the people that really have a true sense of who they are as a human being. Mm -hmm. Um, and what I mean by that on all levels, you know, from their personal, their personal life to their business life, um, as well as who they are as, as a person and how they want to portray themselves to the world. Cause for me, and I, this comes from once I got a sense of self, is when my sales and my sales techniques really blossomed. Um, and it's something that I think all of us as humans are striving for to always try to be better than we are. Um, but I think sometimes we lose sight of the priorities to become a good, to good at what you do. Um, Cause sometimes I think we focus so much on the task and not as much on the person. And that's where the mistakes I think lie a lot of the time. Absolutely. I find that, that it's so easy um, 
to, like you said, you, you focus on, on the little things, on the mistakes, and, and you don't think about um, even somebody's potential. One of the expressions that we often use um, at Criteria for Success is uh, for leaders that you should speak to somebody's bigness, not their smallness. Correct. And so often you focus on the, the things about somebody that they're worst at and, um, and, and don't even recognize that, first of all, we all have our weaknesses and you're never going to you know fully fix somebody's weaknesses, just like you're never going to fix your own. But also um, you should have a vision for your team that's, that's even bigger than they see for themselves. And really to be able to lead somebody toward that is really a, an exciting um, and invigorating thing to do. No, it is. And I think uh, you touched on something Early on in my career, I was at the company I was at, I felt like we did 90% really well, and I felt like we were doing 10% poorly. So I started focusing on the 10%. Mm -hmm. And then I got stopped and said, hey, you're doing it the wrong, what are, what are you trying to do? I got asked the question first, what is your overall objective here? And I said, I want to get this 10% into the fold, so we're doing 100% good. And I was told, and it was true, focus on the 90%. That's how you're going to grow it and focus on the positive and the people that already like you and the people that believe in what you're doing. Because if you focus on the 10%, you're going to lose some of that 90% because of the fact of how much energy you're spending instead of spending it on the people that already already invested in you and go that way. And I think that comes from the positives. You know, you, you, you want to promote always positivity, you know, and it's basically you critique in private, you promote uh, in public is the, the way that I've learned to do it. And you also even have to think of things in a psychological manner. Like I wouldn't give bad news on a Friday. Mm. I would give bad news on a Monday. And the reason being is that allows me to be with the rest of my team for the whole week to, mm -hmm. you know, to hear the messaging, to be a part of the messaging, to be a part of the group thought versus, you know, not being a part of the group thought, doing it on a Friday, letting people go home on the weekends, having whatever discussions they have that you're not involved in. Mm -hmm. So I would go as far as thinking, thinking in those terms. Um, and also thinking in the terms of I was this individual, how would I want to hear it? And also where, and for, as the manager side, you want to get, like you said, the most out of your people, your men and women who are there doing the job. So you also have to think about each individual is a different person. You'll have mm -hmm. a group goal, but you also have to have, you have to, treat people in certain ways a little bit different at times, you know, even though you treat the group the same to get the productivity you need, not everybody's the same person, you know, not everybody's uh, drive is the same and not everybody's um, I would say like things that turn them on, aren't the same, you mm -hmm. know, so that's where as a manager, it's your responsibility to dig into the individual and find out what it is that gets them excited and brings the passion to the process because the two things that sell to me is confidence, 100% confidence, and also the um, intelligence about what you're selling, you know, and knowing your product. Those are the two things that really, to me, is the competency and confidence that really stands out to me. Definitely. It's, it's amazing um, what can come through when you have a salesperson who is passionate about what they're selling and they know what they're talking about. And so it's that, that, you know, the confidence is both like personal confidence, but I think also the confidence in what I'm selling you has value and it can solve a problem for you. And I truly believe in it. And 
so often I see that you'll have really good salespeople. And if they don't have confidence in what they're selling, they won't sell. And so I've seen at a company where a product came out and unfortunately it had some errors and it was, it was problematic. And there were all these issues with the refunds and, and repairs and recalls and, you know, nightmares. And basically some of the lower performing salespeople were still out there trying to sell it, not doing very well. And the top performers were the ones who were fighting within the organization to say, you can't have me out here poisoning my relationships, trying to sell this faulty product. I need to not, I need to hold off. I need to be honest with the market. And they're the ones who, as soon as they were able to come out with a, with a new product, they had an immediate spike in sales because they hadn't damaged relationships. And because their network knew they would communicate about the act, you know, they would communicate accurate information. They weren't going to lie and say the product worked when it didn't. And so they knew that once they said it, it was fixed, that it was fixed. It's integrity. Absolutely. You know, and without integrity, you know, you, it's really hard to sell. And look, and I've been on, listen, I've been sold myself. Um, and I allow myself to be sold, especially if somebody really cares about what they're doing. But I've also been on calls where I've gotten off and told my partners that I've just had the most amazing phone call. The solution that we had, that the, the issue that we have is going to be solved. And the call, the person on the other end lied every aspect of what they were saying was a lie, you know, and you think about it from human behaviors. If you go to a poor, a restaurant that doesn't do the, leaves a hair in your food, doesn't (laughs) doesn't buy you the meal and it gives you poor service, like everything that could have gone wrong went wrong. And on top of it, they don't stand behind it and make you feel good about it. You're going to go out and tell 10 to 15 people. Mm -hmm. Now, if I do a really good job for you, you're going to tell two to three people mm-hmm. and that's human behaviors. So you have to kind of understand that. And I think what stands out more than anything is integrity. And you have, you have to have integrity in what you're selling, you know, and especially in today's world in the information age, you know, that if you're going to tell something that's not true, or you're going to say something that you don't stand behind, you know, that's just a kiss of death. You know, and I've been really grateful. You know, I got to sell a product prior and a Mercedes Benz product that I could stand behind it and stick my chest out and feel really good because not only would I stand behind the product, but the factory stood behind the product if there was an issue. And that allowed me to feel that way. And currently what I do now is I trade the United States Treasury and the S&P 500 as a hedge fund manager. And we've simplified a process that allowed me to feel the exact same way that I felt when I was running the dealerships that my father owned. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, it's something that I know won't implode. It will work in the future and it achieves the goals of what customer or what my investors want. Um, You know, and so for me, that was actually something really important for anything that I was going to get behind or I'm going to sell. I have to 100% believe in it all, all the way through or like my passion won't, the passion and the confidence doesn't come through. Like you were saying with um, the example that you gave, um, mm-hmm. you have to believe, you have to drink your own Kool-Aid. Um, and if you're doing it just to try to make money, the sophisticated individual, not even an investor or somebody that's got a lot of money, just a sophisticated individual is going to smell it. And it's going to know that you're doing it not for the betterment of them, but the betterment of you. And if you're doing things for the betterment of you, it shines through. The best situations is when it's the betterment of both people involved. And that's where, that's where the growth happens. That's where the beauty of life happens. 
you know, but too many people are too selfish and narcissistic and think about, I'm going to get 10% of this hundred dollars. If I sell X, don't think that way. Think long-term I'm on the, I'm selling this to Elizabeth and maybe I could have a relationship with her that I can sell her 10 to 15 different things and all of her friends and everything else. But our society has really changed over the past 20 years. We want it now. We want it cheap. We don't want to be serviced. We want the best product for the cheapest price. Mm-hmm. And that's really has changed sales to me in a huge way of the servicing of sales. Like when I was coming up 30 years ago and the guys and girls that I was working around, they were beyond impressive. I mean, they were their own business. I had salespeople at dealerships making over two hundred to $300,000 a year. And these guys and girls were amazing keeping their name in front of people and mm-hmm. being creative on how they did it. Um, and having reasons to develop a relationship with somebody beyond the, the Mercedes-Benz product. Um, I learned so much from stuff that was either done to me or I was involved in or I got to experience just by being on the sidelines and being like, wow, that was an amazing move by either the customer or by us. You know, um, And I've just been very fortunate to be around, not just in the car business, but in the job I do now, you know, being a hedge fund manager, I'm surrounded by people who have made a lot of money in their life. And it's really interesting to me to see how they've done it, what mm-hmm. a- what avenues they've taken, because there are so many different avenues in this world, you know, to achieve um, some success. And it's, that's what's really interesting to me. Definitely, definitely. Um I, I just think it's it's so interesting, and you can tell. Uh, by the way, as you were as you were telling your story, I was thinking your dad sounds like he was uh, an amazing sales manager and yeah. uh, leader, and and I can tell that that came through, and that that you learned so many great principles. So I want to take a deep dive for the rest of our conversation today yeah. into some of the things that we've just been talking about. But first, I want to set some context for the world that we're in now, because obviously, um, you know, you said you've been selling for thirty years. And this is a different time than any time before. Certainly, you've sold through different crises over time. But right now, um, what I'm hearing from people is uncertainty about how to sell. Um, You know, everybody hopes, fingers crossed, that we're coming out of the worst of the pandemic. And um, and things are, you know, on the upswing in some areas and in, in other areas, not so much. But I've heard from people, you know, I'm afraid to sell. It, do- it doesn't seem appropriate. Or, you know, I call people and they yell at me. <laughs> um, or I just don't even know who would who would have money, who would be willing to buy right now. And um, I'd love to hear some, whether it's stories or best practices or things that you've learned, because you've continued having selling conversations through this whole situation. And um, I know you've learned some lessons about um, what works, what doesn't, and and really just how to think about and how to approach selling in, in challenging times like these. Yeah, I mean, you're right, Elizabeth. I mean, this we're seeing things that the world has never seen before. Um, and I was um, alive and working during the last crash. Um, so I did have experience from that. Um, and I would say, look, I've been really fortunate that I happen to have a product, a financial product, that has outperformed um, everybody, you know, through this cycle of COVID. So it's allowed me to still be out there selling, you know, because it's a need product for people in the financial space right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of a big point. But the other side of it is, I think that one of the key things is in selling in this environment is listening. Um, mm-hmm. And it's also 
not necessarily going out with your message that you want to get across in the first conversation. Um, I think sometimes, depending on the relationship you have, and especially these newer relationships, I think it's a, one of the most difficult things. And I had a conversation with someone yesterday, developing a relationship post-COVID, a new relationship is one of the most difficult things to do because of the human interaction that we all like to have sitting across from somebody. Mm -hmm. uh, we all have different things that we like to look at. Some people like to go to eat a meal with somebody to see how they're in with meals, be with their family to see how they are and interact with their families. You know, everybody kind of has different little tests. And right now um, we're not able to do that. And mm -hmm. so we're developing relationships, you know, via technology um, and I think a lot of the relationships right now, it, it's based on need. Um, mm -hmm. I think a lot of wants, um, people are putting off their wants, um, mm -hmm. because of the lack of an understanding of what's going to happen next. And that goes from medical, it goes from society, it goes financial. I mean, we don't know, nobody can tell us exactly what's going to happen next. You know, 20 states are seeing a spike in COVID, you know, some states aren't now. We're also in a presidential election year. Um, we're feeling really vulnerable, you know, as far as a human race. I think it's probably, at least I'm 48 years old. It's the most vulnerable in my lifetime that we've ever been. Mm -hmm. And I think vulnerability a lot of times feels like risk mm -hmm. uh, to people. And so with not having the knowledge of what's going to happen next, and I don't care what your industry is. You know, it could be medical, real estate, it could be, you know, developing commercial products. I don't care what it is, you know, especially in real estate, people are like, oh, what's going to happen next? You know, and the fear, it used to be the wall of worry. Now it's, I mean, it's the wall of terror, mm. you know. Um, and I think that's probably the biggest fear is, okay, how long are we going to be dealing with this? And how long is my money going to last that I can feed my family for Absolutely. Um, so much of what you said there is, is I've just, I've seen and heard so, you know, I've, I've heard um, in different industries across different people, you know, like you were saying, and I think this is a really important point that a lot of people might not be thinking about. When people are feeling frightened and vulnerable about the situation in the world around them, they're already potentially at the limit of the level of risk that they feel comfortable in. Yep. And anytime you're selling something to somebody, they have to incur risk to decide to move forward with you. It might not be the biggest risk, depending on what it is that they're selling, but any change is some level of risk. What if you are lying to them? What if even you're not lying to them, but you know it just it just goes wrong. It, the product doesn't work like it's supposed to. The service is is not you know it doesn't meet your needs. So there's always risk associated with sales, and so you're piling risk on top of the risk somebody's already feeling, yeah. and you have to be a hundred percent confident that first of all, um, you know, the, the amount of risk is not too high that, that you're selling something again, that you've got that confidence in, you know, it's going to solve problems for people. You've done the work to figure out that it's definitely the right solution for them. But then also to have, you know, even potentially make space for more conversations in the selling process about how you're going to alleviate some risk. You know, here's what our setup process looks like. Here's what's going to happen next. Here's how we walk through everything and potentially even slowing things down a bit because people are more afraid than they usually are. And, you know, you can't judge people for that because look at yourself. You're probably more afraid than you usually are. Um, but so 100%. often people, people, you know, who are selling are trying to rush people through 
their, their fear, but you have to understand that people are starting at just such a higher level of fear that, um, that any, um, techniques, any best practices that you've used in the past with prospects who were uncertain, think of applying those to everybody and maybe dialing them up. Yeah. And I would say this, I mean, the one thing I've learned since COVID has shown its ugly face to us is that the rules have changed. Um, so pre-COVID, people might not have talked to you because you weren't scalable at a certain level. And mm-hmm. now they're going to talk to you because you have a good product and that fills that need or fills a void um, that they're currently dealing with. Um, I think now if you do have something that's a good product to sell, there are people willing to listen. I would say, you know, and you and I talked prior to getting on this, the mistake that I made early on was I was coming out and saying to people how well we were doing and I wasn't listening as enough to about mm-hmm. what, the, what the other people were dealing with. I was so happy to get out good news about us when a world that had such negative news that the mistakes that I made was, you know what, um, I needed to listen to what the other side was dealing with. You know, because one of my friends, for instance, was in oil and gas. The last thing he wanted to hear when oil was $30 below or a negative 30 was that mm-hmm. his buddy was doing really well here. You know, he wanted to hear how I could help him in his situation. And sometimes you have to take a step back with whatever you're selling and say to yourself, okay, what's Elizabeth dealing with at this moment? How can I help Elizabeth at this moment that can then build that relationship, build that respect, that trust? and that belief um, within us. And sometimes you're doing things that is not even your job, but you know what, you're doing it to develop that relationship. And I think that comes with the post COVID world that you've got to be willing to step outside of your comfort zone in all areas. You know, I wasn't a big person that liked doing all of the FaceTiming and zoom calls, but I'm doing a ton of them now, you know, cause that's just a part of the new world. Um, you know, and you do, I think right now, you're going to get credit. You're going to get credit for being a hustler if you have a good product, uh, but you got to hustle. You know that's that's the key part of it. And I think people will always give you credit for that. You know, and now you just got to be creative on how you get the message out, and that's the most difficult thing. You know, so I think when you call the people you're calling, ask them how they're doing. You know, start out that way. Don't start out with "I've got the greatest widget since you know <laughs> the last crash." Absolutely. And so much of what you're saying, and this is, this is funny how true this always is, is it's, these are basic best practices that we should be doing anyway. But whenever you're in a difficult situation, the importance of these foundational best practices is dialed up, right? So you should always be checking in with people. You never know if you're, if you're making a call to somebody, did they just get a call? and got terrible personal news, but they still picked up the phone and you're talking to them. And so, you know, even if we weren't in COVID, checking in on people is, is always a good practice. Um, right now, you know, every single person that you're talking to is going to be in, impacted by this in some way. And yeah. so it's really easy to just say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to check in on people. And then you might discover through that first question, you know what, all we're going to talk about here is COVID and how they're being personally impacted and professionally impacted. And it wouldn't be appropriate at any point during this conversation for me to bring up what I'm selling, but I'm just going to be a warm, comforting presence for them. And this is going to help build a relationship. It's you know, and, and, and not to be crass, but that, that's going to be good for you long term, but even even if it isn't right now. And so often um, people feel that sense of desperation or scarcity. And that's what pushes you to go past 
what I think most of us have the innate emotional intelligence not to do. <laughs> but um, if you feel like I just need to, you know, I, I need to give my message to everybody and it's all about my message and I, I have to put that out there. You're not checking to see is somebody able and willing to listen to it? Are they in a space where it's even relevant to them? And, um, and you know, yes, you can make mistakes here and it's not like it's the end of the world. There's, there's a lot of people who are stepping in it a little bit. Um, you're going to be forgiven, but it's a whole lot better if you, if you don't have to learn this lesson the hard way. And um, it's so much of it is just about, are you focused on yourself or are you focused on other people? And yeah. if you're really focused on other people and you're thinking about them and what it is that they need, you're going to be thinking about, does my product meet their needs or is my product a nice to have? And if your product is a nice to have, maybe this is a time to slow down. Or maybe it's a time to think about, you know, who are the people who have the space right now to think about nice to haves? Um, whatever you're selling, a lot of times there are people who are going to buy what you're selling as a nice to have. And there are other people who are going to buy what you're selling as a need. So can you focus on the, that second group of people? And really just taking the time to pause and think about this and not just move forward kind of mindlessly. And um, I, I love these best practices that you're, that you're sharing because it's they're, they're basic, they're foundational, but it's so easy to just kind of um, thoughtlessly march along a path of what you were doing before, not really thinking about, um, you know, that we need to change our approach because, because people are in a very different place right now. I would agree. And then the other thing I think that's really important, at least in our office, you know, and I've been working now 30 years and selling for 30 years, regardless of what it is I've done, it's always been a form of selling. Um, you know, and I've seen a lot of changes that have happened, but one of the key thing is you still have to prepare. You have to prepare for your calls. Don't go into it off the cuff. Um, make sure you prepare your messaging and you know what your messaging is and how in those points that you want to get across. And then practice. And I know sometimes people might say it's corny. Um, I don't want to do that. You know, and listen, I'm in an office. I'm, I'm the oldest in my office, you know. And so what, but what it comes down to is it's not corny to us in this office. It might be a little bit uncomfortable at times. It was for a little bit in the beginning, um, you know, cause you did feel a little humanly uncomfortable and you're being judged and how you're giving your message. But you know what, if you don't think about voice inflection, if you don't think about how you're going to say things and how it be received, um, I think it's a real, you know, if you don't, you have to prepare. You know, and you have to take every step of this as, as just as important, as just as serious, or otherwise you're not going to be successful, in my opinion, unless you get lucky. Absolutely. I was talking to somebody um, a few weeks ago, not on the podcast, just a, a, somebody else. And they said, I don't believe in role practicing. And we call it role practicing, not role yeah. playing, because it's, it's practice, not play. And I was yeah. like, okay, well, you know, I'm not going to argue with you, but if you're a professional athlete, you practice. Yeah. You're already one of the best in the world at what you do and you still practice. So are you telling me that you are better at selling, better at everything that you do than, you know, Tiger Woods was at golf at the top of his career? It's not like he stopped practicing because he was good at it. And and yeah. yes, sports is not sales. And, and I know it's, an, you know, it's often an overused analogy, but it's mind boggling to me that people don't practice things. You know, I yeah. see people write up a script, write up a message, and then they never say it out loud until they're live on the phone with somebody. And they realize that even like the simplest thing, two words are hard to say back to back. You know, they yeah. look fine written down and saying it out loud, you stumble over it because it's a tongue twister. 
and I, I just stumbled over tongue twisters, oh, no, which is funny. Times I have literally written things, punched myself in the shoulder, thought it was fantastic, and then said it out loud and was like, wow, that sounds horrible. Yeah. Or even just the level of formality in written word is a whole lot different from how we talk. I would not write down a whole lot different. I, I don't write that way, but I talk that way. Right. Yeah. And so um, thinking about, you know, everything like that, it's, it's, it's amazing to me. That's actually kind of what I wanted to get into next, which is funny, but um, you have been selling for so long and you've learned and, and also managing sales and leading sales. And so you've seen a lot of the best practices there. And I think there's, there's two kind of categories of best practices. There are a lot of things that are principles of selling that have not changed. And you could go back 30 years, 50 years, maybe even 100 years, and they haven't changed. Things like um, preparing, things like practicing. Um, but then there are things that have changed. I'd love yep. to hear from you. What are some of those, um, you know, either either best practices that, that you feel like have stood the test of time and haven't changed in your entire career versus what are some of the major changes that you've seen about how people should approach or think about selling? Um, you know, I, I think the thing there was, I, when I first started, there was professional salespeople. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by professional salespeople is that's what they did. You could put anything in front of them and they were capable of selling it because they would do the research. They would understand who they were selling to, and they would understand how that person would want to hear things and, and situations like that. Over time, you know, the selling has changed. Mm -hmm. Some of it is technology based and also some of it has to do with owners, founders and managers of the process. And the reason why I say that is, is because here you have some of these great businesses that have been run that then mm -hmm. get bought up by public companies. Mm. And one of the first things that happen is, is they cut comp. Mm -hmm. Well, what cut comp is when you lose good people. And so what I have seen over time is our society, and this is, listen, it comes down to the end user, us, the purchaser, is just as much of the problem as the people that are running the companies, in my opinion, because us as the end user say, we don't care about the service side or being sold. We mm. want our iPhone for the cheapest dollar we can get it for. And that's what we want. Um, and because of that, it's allowed people in manager and owners positions to cut comp and put people in place that are just order takers. Mm -hmm. Instead of saying, I know when Elizabeth's birthday is, I know when her anniversary is, I send her out little notes to let her know that I care about her. That's gone. I don't see that anymore. The personal touch, the handwritten notes, um, the stuff like that, that, that's the stuff I don't see. I also don't see the basics of, I was trained that you return every phone call before you leave your office. And today people don't return phone calls at all, let alone. Mm -hmm emails you get you know everything's happening so quick and everybody wants it now and i think some of that's a mistake and i know that's technology has allowed that to happen um you know but some of the relationship side of things gets lost in that um and people want to do it easy quick and then in that way and it that's what i've seen over time you know whereas Early on in my career, I'd never sold anything into to somebody I've never personally met or seen. And now I sell things all the time to people I've never met. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's funny. I've been, um, I've been, you know, closely working in, in the sales space for 12 years myself. And I've even seen a lot of those changes. Some of them have happened so incredibly quickly. Um, I think there's, like you said, 
it's it's so interesting. When I think of some of the best salespeople that I've worked with over the years, they are that professional salesperson, like you were talking about. They they build relationships. They they have long term. You know, I had a client, and this is always the dream that companies have, but it usually doesn't work out. They hired a salesperson, and that person brought over almost every single account from their former job because they had such a good relationship with their with their network that yep. they knew they could trust them. So often I see people and they, they'll hire a salesperson and they'll think that they're going to bring over their network and then they were not, they didn't have the type of relationship with, um, with their buyers that would actually motivate them to make that move. And so thinking about, you know, how often are you engaging with people who aren't actively buying from you right now, but might buy from you in the future and bought from you in the past? How often are you checking in with your existing customers to see how they're doing? Are they happy? Um, there's, there's just so much that, um, that, you know, again, back to what we're saying. A lot of laziness that goes on. Yeah. You know, and there's a lot of wish marketing and I wish that this person would come through the door. I wish this would happen, <laughs> you know, and you're like, no, you've got, you have to get up and work harder now to sell. And look, I used to sell something that was an immediate sales cycle. Mm. My sales cycle now is six months to a year, up to two years, up to three years, you know, so it's a completely different process. Um, and if I don't build that relationship, I have zero chance. Whereas before, if I'm selling a Mercedes Benz, you might not like me, but you like the car, so you're still going to buy it. Where <laughs> this one, you know, it's a, it's a little bit different. And you have to have a good understanding of that with regards of whatever you're doing. But if you're not, the basics work, you know, and if you just do that, it's literally you're doing what the other guy and girl isn't doing. And that's what makes you stand out. When I was younger, I used to think I was really good at what I did. And I would tell you, I'm the golden boy. Everything I touch turns to gold. And, I'm great. <laughs> and you know what? I realized over time that I'm really not that good. It was that my competition was really bad. <laughs> you know, And that I was, I would say is maturity, but also realizing that I was just doing the basics that they weren't willing to do. And that's capitalism. That's the beauty of capitalism. I know there's a lot of negatives, especially with what people are seeing in today's media and society of what's going on with the protest and everything else. But the beauty of capitalism is that, that, you know, you, if you're willing to do what the other guys, not with integrity and passion and everything else, you can do very well in this country. Absolutely. And I, I just, I can't help but go back to what we've been saying. You know, I think it's a theme that's come out over the, there, there are so many of these best practices that are just always true and they've been true for a long time and it's really easy to get away from them. I think, you know, when you have salespeople who aren't making the calls to the, the customers who are not buying right now, right? They're not doing that relationship maintenance. A lot of times it's because from leadership, they're getting the message of, hey, we're tracking every call that you make. And we want to see you make X number of calls to new prospects. And we need to see a certain level of activity. And it can be very numbers focused. And relationship development doesn't always align with numbers. And certainly you don't want somebody who's only calling former clients and nobody's buying and they're not doing any prospecting because prospecting is the hard work and some people are just avoiding it because it's hard. But sometimes they're not just avoiding, you know, it, it, you, you, need, you need to have a balance, basically. You need to make sure that you're doing both. And I think a lot of times uh, leadership doesn't realize that they are actually motivating the wrong behavior. And they're actually motivating behavior that's doing long-term harm to the business because they're so focused on the short-term results. Uh, yeah. And a lot of that comes with the pay plans that they put out. Mm. You know, when you're putting as a manager and you're putting out the pay plan, 
you know, that's really going to dictate the behavior, you know? And so if you're putting out a pay plan that only is going to be beneficial to the guy or girl that's selling and they have to put up numbers to do so, what are they going to do? They're going to put up numbers, mm-hmm. you know, but if you're putting a, an importance or, or about what you care about as an institution, that's what you should pay on, you know, and not a lot of people do that. They put a different pay plan, but have different expectations and what the pay plan is. And they don't understand why people are acting that way. You're like, look at your pay plan. You know, mm-hmm. people, have to, they have to pay their bills. They're not there for a charity. Yep. You know, and so I it's, think that's one of the key things that people make mistakes on. Is their absolutely. Paper. Yeah, it's not the only thing that motivates people, but it is a, it's always a factor. And like you said, yep. it's, it's literally how they're paying their mortgage or their rent. It's how they're feeding themselves and their family. Trust me, it matters. And I had a, I, I've got two short stories from clients. I had one client and what they did not realize is their pay, their compensation plan actually motivated the team to not prospect which was mind boggling to me, but yeah. they had all these expectations on, um, this was, they were basically, uh, manufacturer reps who were going out to, to ensure that, um, that the locations were stocking their products. And so they were measured on how many sites did you visit of existing clients? It, they were not being paid to visit potential new clients. And so they didn't because they weren't being paid for it. And it's like, you guys are shooting yourselves in the foot. Then I had another client and they had a a compensation model that was driving big, complicated custom projects, not realizing that they didn't have the delivery capacity to do a whole lot of those. And so because the sales team got a really nice commission on those, they sold a bunch of them. And then they had a backlog that was literally like a year and a half out to deliver anything. And they had no work that they could deliver and recognize revenue on short term. And so really thinking about what, behavior is your compensation plan motivating if you push it to the extreme uh you you've got to be prepared for what if what if somebody just completely took it seriously and all they were doing was working to get the biggest commission they could what is the behavior you'd see you're not going to probably see it to that extreme but you're going to see more of that than you're thinking (laughs) absolutely now and i also think another thing that as a manager owner uh your behaviors are extremely important um Mm. You know, because look, when I was younger, early on, I didn't always respect the position I might have been in. But as I matured and understood it, that my behaviors are just as important as what I said and what I did. Um, You know, and that people a lot of times, you can't tell people to do something that you're not doing yourself. I guess that's what it really comes down to. Um, I believe you have to lead with example. Um, Mm -hmm. You don't lead with words. Because words, words are very cheap, especially in the, today's world. Words have become very cheap. And if you think about it, when you and I were younger, to be a good person, you'd have to save a kid from a burning building. <laughs> now, to be a good person, you just keep your word and you do what you say. That's how mm. low the bar has, be- has become. Yeah, it's it's. We talk a lot internally about a concept called workability, and you know, just and the foundation for workability, like you said, it's making promises and keeping promises. Even yeah. if you say, you know, I, I'll call you at two o'clock, and you consistently call somebody at like two o seven, it's like yes, you know, you don't need to be like mean, and and certainly we've all run late on things, and and it's you know, it, it, it's fine. But if you really try to keep your commitments, and you really, you know, you say you're going to follow up, and you follow up. You say you're going to send something, and you send that thing. Uh, it's amazing, how, like you said, how how far that'll get you. Now, what's interesting though, too, and I know you have this because this has come out um, in in what you've said so far. There's a lot of you know the old fashioned stuff that that is true, but there's a lot I think that's changed in selling where people have become more open to um, soft skills 
and emotional connection. And I think that used to be considered um, inappropriate or or not valuable. You know, it used to be very much just beat down the doors, give the message, aggressive, um, you know, sell, sell, sell. And now there is a little more space for um, connection and, you know, vulnerability even, like you were talking about earlier. And I do think that that's, that's probably the biggest positive change that I see. Would you agree? Oh, no, I totally would agree because there are times, or especially earlier on in my career, that you might have had somebody that wasn't the most agreeable person, but they mm-hmm. were a producer and they were really a, a strong producer. So you dealt with them, mm-hmm. you know, and because also the clients were okay with them. Now, what it came down to is over time, what I've seen and what I've experienced is they need to like you. Mm-hmm. If they don't like you, they're not going to do business with you. Whereas before it was strictly about your skills mm-hmm. and it wasn't about if they liked you as a person or disliked you as a person. It was just about that you were there to do a job and get the job done and you got paid for that job. And there wasn't about the, any emotional attachments whatsoever. Whereas now I definitely have seen that change of where, you know, it is about being liked as much as it is about uh, doing the job as well. Um, and I think on the technological side, there has been a lot of things that have been very good that have allowed us to sell easier, um, mm-hmm. you know, Absolutely. as far as from paperwork and as far as getting documents to people and signing documents. So I don't want to sit here and say that, the, you know, the old way is the only way, because I think there's a great mix. I think uh, you're foolish to sit there and say uh, any one thing works because it doesn't. You know, you have to have a tool chest. And in your tool chest, you you better, you know, have cultivated older relationships than your age, relationships that are your age and younger relationships. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you won't stay relevant. Like, and listen, there's plenty of times I'm still learning. Uh, like, this is how people want to talk. They only want to talk on this format. They don't want to talk on the telephone. or they. And now it's even asking the question, what is your form of communication mm-hmm. that you prefer? Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's such a basic question, but so often people don't ask it. I have people and, and I still this is not me, so I find it my boggling, but I have people who primarily want to interact via text in a business context. Yeah. And I just I I personally don't like to text in a business context. I don't know why, but for me it just it's weird. But if somebody yeah. wants to text you and you're constantly emailing or calling them, you're driving them nuts. And so if you can figure out, you know, yes, there are some things that you're still going to need to email if you need to send them a file or something, but can you check in with them via text? Can you text them updates? Can you even text them? Hey, I just emailed you a file. I know you don't check your email very often because I know you like to text. Um, Whatever it is, really just making sure you're making sure you're checking in on people. And and what you were saying earlier about, um, you know, the, the top performers who are abrasive or obnoxious, not only are they potentially damaging relationships outside your firm, but they're damaging relationships inside the firm. And I don't know how many times I've seen where management is excusing somebody who technically produces, but they are a nightmare to work with. And that drives good people away from the company internally. You know, people are quitting, people are leaving, they want to move to different departments, or they're going to put roadblocks in place. They're not going to help that person, um, you know, go through difficult situations. And it's, you know, being, being just professionally, you know, uh, agreeable. <laughs> it's, it's a basic foundation, but it's amazing how, how there are still people who, who don't think that that's important. Uh, I know. And as on the manager's side, I've been one of those guys that was like, you know what, I was fearful of losing the business mm-hmm. uh, of dealing with that person. And then, you know, something happens, either you fire the person or they quit. And you realize that not only 
did you not lose any business? You gained business because of what you just said, because everyone else around you is happier. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think there's a substitute for doing the right thing. And I don't think there's a substitute for putting your business first. If you don't put your business first and you put Chad, me first, and I put my desires first, it's a recipe to fail. Um, I think you have to put everything else in front of you. And then the byproduct is that you get paid or the byproduct is that you have the relationship or the byproduct is, but too many people focus on the byproduct and Mm. not the process. And because there's so much that you can find in that process and you might not end up in the place you thought you were going to, but you know what, sometimes you end up even in a better place, but if you don't do it, you just don't know. And, um, you know, I would just be to anybody out there that's afraid to sell, get out and start selling, you know, don't be afraid of it. Uh, and if you don't have the right product, switch your product, you mm-hmm. know, don't be afraid to make changes. You know, that's one thing that's really in today's world, you know, you could work at two or three different places and it's okay. You know, mm-hmm. where before, if you weren't at the same job for 30 years, people weren't talking to you. <laughs> Absolutely. And I really do think that's uh, a potential silver lining to all of the economic disruption that, that, everybody's experiencing right now. It's giving people time and space to to think and to reflect. And if you feel like, you know what, I, um, you know, it, whether you're a salesperson or whether you're in leadership, I don't have the passion for what we do as a business. I, I don't feel confident about it. I don't feel good about it. This could be a good time to think about what are you passionate about? What do you care about? Where, where do you think you could um, be super confident in what it is that you're, that you do? And what moves can you make to, to get into that industry? You know, don't, don't everybody quit your jobs, but um, it, it is a good opportunity to, to think about moving if, um, if you just don't have that sense of, of confidence that we've been um, hammering down on throughout this whole conversation. No, I would agree. And I think also people don't realize everything matters and everything counts. Mm. You know, they think well, it only counts when I'm in the office or this or that, you know, there's eyes watching all the time. You have to have integrity in every step and everything you do, you know, because you never know who's looking. You never know what's going on, you know, and um, and I think that's something that people forget. Yeah, the, the world is smaller than people think it is. You know, the number of times I've um, even just, you know, you, you go to the office and somebody's like, oh, yeah, I saw you over the weekend. I'm like, oh, you did? <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I hope I wasn't doing anything embarrassing, right? Yeah. Um, and and we just don't know. And, and you know, but we're all captured on video a bazillion times a day as soon as we can actually leave our homes. Um, so that that's such a such a great message. All right. I'm looking at the clock and I know we both have to probably wind down the conversation. So a question I always like to ask of our guests is what are some books that you would recommend to our listeners? I would say the first book I'm going to recommend is a book that was recommended to me. And if you worked for my father ever, you had to read this book and it was serious. So it was Dr. Seuss, green eggs and ham. And (laughs) didn't take it serious when he gave it to you. You didn't last long in the company. Mm -hmm. Um, But for a sales side, I think that's one of, that's a fantastic book for sales. Absolutely. Sun Tzu Art of War is Mm -hmm. a very good book for sales. Um, you know, and then I would even go, you know, there's some other really good ones, like the good to great, you know, Mm. there's also, to me, some of the greatest lessons that I've learned is people I've truly respected. Mm. Um, I've just learned from how they do things, you know, so I've been big on biographies of people I respect, 
and learning how they've sold or learning how they've carried themselves or learning how they did things. You know, um, that to me um, has been some of the, some great lessons. And then also the meetings I've been in. There's mm-hmm. been times I've been in meetings where someone has said something to me or done something that I've been like, wow, that's fantastic. I'm definitely adopting that. And then the other thing has been just hearsay. Like I've literally heard things um, that were said um, either in jest or said to somebody else uh, that I was like, oh boy, like learning that you sell from your point of strength, not your point of weakness. That was something that was said from a friend of my father's to him. And I wa- it wasn't even said to me and I just happened to grab it, you know, mm-hmm. and I learned that early on. So there's, you can always be learning at all times. It's just, you have to pay attention. Absolutely. Um, just what I'm hearing from you is you're a lifelong learner. And the fact that, um, you know, you're keeping your ears open and you're keeping your eyes open and you're really, you're really looking for those best practices. There's nothing that can replace that. You can, you can, you know, say, okay, I'm going to read all the books that I can, but if you're, if you're not open to learning, you're not going to. Um, all right. And it's a beautiful journey. So if you open yourself up to it. Absolutely. All right. I have I have so much enjoyed talking to you today, Chad. And I know um, a lot of our listeners are going to enjoy this conversation as well. If you want people to learn more about you and your work, where should they go? Um, to Chad Glauser. Um, and then Chad at the com, And I'll I'll talk to anybody that wants to reach out. All right. It's always nice when you when you actually give an email address. I think that helps. So thank you again so much for being here, Chad. I once mistakenly gave out my phone number. I won't do that anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's, that, that's not always helpful. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Right, thank you. I really enjoyed it. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning into today's show. You can find the notes and the resources for everything Chad and I have been talking about today at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 266. Be sure to tune in on Friday for another inspirational episode and check out the blog at criteriaforsuccess.com slash insights. If you enjoyed the show today, please recommend us to a friend. That is one of the best ways to help more people find the show. And if you're not yet subscribed, make sure to do that so you'll hear every new episode as soon as it goes live. You can subscribe for free wherever you're listening right now. We always love, love, love to hear your feedback. You can leave us ratings and reviews in Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. Or email us with direct feedback, questions, and guest suggestions at podcast at criteriaforsuccess.com. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at CFS Playbook. Let's Talk Sales is a production of Criteria for Success and is produced by Ariana Miskell, Laura Marchoff, Mark Krogan, and me, Elizabeth Frederick. Happy selling!